0: When I saw, when I saw the decorations this morning, I thought I had to get a Hawaiian shirt, maybe. And then I thought, what I would look like in a Hawaiian shirt, and I changed my mind. Would not be pretty. Well, this morning, I want to talk, begin a series that I have been contemplating for literally years. Um, it's a, it's a series that has been on my heart, and I've been praying about, and I've been thinking about, and I've been struggling with, and if I were to tell you I think I'm completely ready to talk about this, I would be not telling you the truth, and yet I feel like we need to deal with this this area because it's an area that we all struggle with, we all face, we all have to go through, and it's this idea of grief. How do we deal with grief as followers of God? Sometimes we feel like we're wrapped up in Layers, don't we, in the midst of those times. When things are hard, when things are struggling. And if you haven't dealt with grief, you will one day. Because the human experience inevitably includes times of loss. There's no way around it. Our humanity faces the possibility not only of death, but you're thinking, oh, this is a death series. No, it's not just that. It's more than that. We face grief with severe disappointments at times, don't we? We face grief with not seeing what we thought would happen happen in life. Uh, as we begin to age, we begin to realize that we didn't get to accomplish everything. and We start to maybe struggle with grief in those moments. Uh, maybe it's a failed relationship. Or maybe, maybe it is the loss of a loved one. Maybe it's personal failures, things that we wish we had never done, but we did. And those moments will come in our lives with a surprise, surprising frequency. But as followers of Jesus, we're not without resources to cope with it. We're not without resources to get through it. And so our first passage I want us to deal with uh, this is, is, is from Matthew's account of the good news of Jesus. Now, scholars, you all know I love the background and history of every passage because I think sometimes it informs us about why he's saying what he says. Scholars have no consensus on where this passage happened. No thought about where the setting was, what was going on, what was happening, where they were at, nothing. So we're kind of left with a blank of the background. But I suspect that this probably comes from somewhere in the middle of Jesus' ministry, not the early days and not the days right before the crucifixion, but, you know, in the the living of life, which is honestly where we face grief, isn't it, in the living of life. Uh, He's not uh, new on the scene, not everybody's excited about him, but the time when opposition is starting to rise by the religious leaders and Jesus' gospel is one of reliance on him instead of self-reliance. And that's the, the theme this morning. It's a gospel, listen, of surrender, not saying I'm in charge. And I think that gives us a clue of how to deal with grief is that we need to be people who are surrendering to Jesus, that we surrender to him on a regular basis. So within the context of grief, we find Jesus making an offer that I think we shouldn't refuse. And it's an offer not to steal ourselves and go, okay, here, I can do this. Because that's what we like to do, isn't it? I can handle this. I can get through this. I can. Instead, it's a call that says, surrender to me. Bring your burdens to me. Bring your struggles to me. Bring your hardships to me. Bring your life to me. So I just want to read the whole passage. It's not a long passage before we break it down. Jesus says in verse 28 of chapter 11 of Matthew, he says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. I read that a little bit of order on purpose, because that's how we're going to break it down this morning. Because I think that's what he's trying to speak to us about surrendering, is this idea of coming to him and letting him bring life to us. So let's have a word of prayer. Father, we pray that as we take a few moments to look at this passage, that God, you'd open our eyes to some, some clues about how to deal with grief when it comes. Father, I would dare say that every one of us in this room has had seasons of grief. Father, there may be some in this room who are in a season of grief right now. Maybe they are dealing with the loss of a loved one recently, or maybe they're dealing with the loss of, of employment, or maybe they're dealing with the loss of potential in life, or maybe they're dealing with the loss of, of, of what they should have done and instead of what they did. And Father, I pray that you give us an insight in how to rely on you, to surrender to you, to come to you and be with you, In those times of grief, in your name we pray. Amen. We begin with this simple statement. Jesus invites us to himself. And you're probably thinking, yeah, we got it. That's what he always does, but hang in there with me. As the passage opens, we receive, I think, what is actually a startling invitation when we really get it. And some of you are thinking, startling? And I would say, yes, it's a very startling one. But, But I don't think we can really understand the context of what Jesus is saying until we get into the context of where Jesus was living. He was living in a time when the Pharisees had foisted upon the population of the Jewish people a burdensome, legalistic system. A way that said you have to do this and you can only walk this many steps and you can only go this many ways and you can only give these things and you can only eat this thing and you can only be here and you can do this and you can't do that and you can not do this. and you can't. All this list that was their life. They had written rules to help people keep the rules. That's how they lived. They were told the steps they could take on the Sabbath. They were told how to burial How to do burials. They were told how to do this. They were told what the offerings would be. They were told how this would be. If you were making this much, you did this. If you did this, you did here. But Jesus, in just a few words, turns it all upside down and says, Come to me. He doesn't call us to a ritual. He doesn't call us to a a set of rules. He doesn't call us to a regulation. He calls us to, listen, a relationship with Himself. He says, come to me, the living God, incarnate, sovereign over all things. I am here and there's nothing too difficult for me to handle in your life. Nothing too insignificant for me to care about. And for those who don't yet believe in Jesus, he offers eternal life. But he also offers all people what? Forgiveness of sin. And he offers us this intimacy with himself. You know, in a very real sense, Jesus, Peter called him our sin bearer. I don't know if you ever thought about Jesus in that light. He's the one that carries our sin. He bears our sin. His burdens, we don't have to carry our burdens alone. He carries them for us. And and, and He walks with us. And we don't have to, nor should we want to, to carry those burdens. Why? Because if we live that way, we're not living as a follower of Jesus. But with Christ as our Savior, as our burden bearer, walking each step, He carries everything. And this includes, friends, grief. When it comes. And the way we access that support from Christ and care from Christ is twofold. We come to Him in prayer. But we also have to do something that's tough. we got to actually lay it down. So first, we've got to come in prayer. We, this is our access point to God. We say, how do I get to God? How do I get in connection with God? How do I have a conversation with God? How do I relate to God? It's that thing that so often we say, yeah, we need to do, but what? We often don't do is to stop and talk to God and say, God, I'm, I'm struggling with this. God, I'm having a, a, an issue here. I God, I can't understand why you've taken this loved one from me. I don't understand why this job didn't work out. I don't understand why this situation in life is not working out. I don't know why this is a failure. I don't know why I did what I did. I know you'll forgive me, but I don't understand why I keep doing it. He says, I'm here with you we got to go to Him to have a conversation with Him. You're going, well, I'll have the hours to spend in prayer. I'm convinced that we have missed the boat on prayer. We think we've got to spend two, three, four hours a day in a dedicated moment of prayer. If you can do that, more power to you. But most of us, what we need to be doing is just having ongoing conversation with God day through the day. Breath prayers. We say, God, I don't know what to do here. Show me. God, I don't know how to handle this. Open my eyes. God, I want to surrender this to you. I'm going to lay it back at your feet again because I keep taking it back to have that conversation. But we also need to do this. We need to then say, God, I'm actually going to lay it at your feet. Oh, and what? Y'all know the next statement. To leave it there. That's tough for some of us, isn't it? I want to handle it. I want to fix it. I want to take care of it. But he's always ready to listen. He's always ready to care. He's always there for us. And he doesn't invite us to some religious system. He doesn't draw us into a religiosity that, (coughs) that brings no power in our lives. Instead, he invites us to him. I think this is the essence of Christianity, by the way, is this call to be with Christ, to be with him. So he invites us to himself. Second, he then instructs us with the next steps. He goes, guys, we're going to go next. And I'm going to split up the text a little bit so you can kind of see where my thinking is. And we find, I think, here four steps that he gives. I didn't add them on your outline. and They're not on the screen, but I'm going to give them to you. If you're a note taker, great. If you're not, just listen close. And if you're not listening at all, we're glad you're here anyway. Sorry, I think that's the first joke I've cracked all week. Anyway. And it was a bad one. All right, so there's the four steps. Look at the verse with me. He says, "Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. Why? My yoke is easy. My burden is light. The first this first step is this: to take upon ourselves Jesus' yoke. Now, I had to do some study. I'm not, I'm, I grew up over the hill from the cowbell rodeo, but I never went. So I'm not a country boy, even though I kind of grew up in a small town. I never wore boots until I was older. Never got on a horse till I had to. And then I wish I hadn't. Anyway. But I don't know much about yokes, so I have to. Stu- I've mean, got to study this. So the, the thought here, and there's a couple of different ways that the scholars have approached this. The, the the yoke is something that that is a choice that we have to make because we are saddled, no pun intended, with a bent in our lives towards independence. We're we're burdened with this idea that we can handle it ourselves. We, we like to, to run around like two- and three-year-olds saying this, let me do it all by my big self. That's how we run our lives, isn't it? We can handle it. And the imagery Jesus uses here is one of two things, and, and biblically it can go either way. It can either be of two animals in a yoke that's yoked together, which is often how we see it. The other is a possibility of a yoke just on the shoulders of one individual designed to help that individual carry more than they could carry on their own by themselves. So there's there's two ways to go with this. And neither one works here, I think, for the text because the power of the moment is not found in the person per se. It's instead in the, the willingness to take on the yoke of Jesus. To say, I, I can't... Jesus says, don't do it yourself. Don't handle it yourself. Don't go by yourself. Take my yoke on you. And the call is to have that yoke laid on us, not in some kind of punishing manner, but in one that says, I'm here to, to help you. I'm here to, to help you move forward, to help you carry the load of what you're carrying. So the first step he gives us is saying, take my yoke. The second one is an openness an openness to what? To being taught. Now, I, I I spent many many years in school. I mean, I was almost thirty before I got finished. you know what I'm saying it took me a long time and I, I love going to I love going to school. My parents would probably think I was crazy if they heard me say that because I hated it as a kid. but I love sitting there and learning and listening. but you know what you have to do more than just what Learn it you have to then what? Bring it into your life. You have to begin to understand it. You have to begin to process it. And, and what he's talking about here is this idea of a yoke being an effective, made effective in our lives, is we have to then learn from the master. So come back to the image of the, the two animals. Apparently, I didn't know this until I studied this week, and those of you who are farmers are going to go, you're wrong. Okay. I'm wrong. I'm wrong. But here's the, what, what they presented was the idea that you would pair a, 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 a seasoned animal, an animal that knew what it was doing, with a, with a dumb newbie. And, and what would happen is the newbie would learn from the seasoned animal and begin to understand what it's like to carry a yoke, to carry a burden, to carry and pull a, 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 a load. Because when they're seasoned together, they begin to learn together. And that's what I think we need to discover because the master comes alongside us and he says, I'm going to not just put it on you, but I'm going to walk with you. I want to teach you, and you're going to learn how to deal with these issues in life that we're talking about. The master who took on himself the sin of those who would be redeemed, not only takes on his sin, but he walks with us, doesn't he? And goes with us. Third is a realization that in comparison to what we think we can do and handle on our own, the yoke of Jesus is actually easier than anything we do on our own. My yoke is what? Easy. Now you're going, I don't think I would like to have a yoke on my neck. Me either, okay? But what he's presenting is a comparison between doing it on your own and having the teamwork of Jesus. It's a surrender to a better way, to a more excellent way. It's a path where we yield the truth to His way instead of our way. And we end our rebellion to the ways of God and we let Him lead us. And then we understand that then the burden is what? Light. A shared burden is a lifted burden. We carry the road alone, we will struggle. We carry the road together together. We have support. And we discover that we can face whatever comes in our lives better with Jesus than we can by ourselves. You know, it, it, it's, 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 sometimes we, we take a while to get there to figure that out, don't we? We think, I can do this. I can handle this. I can carry I can, I can. It's just, no, I'm with you. It comes to a place where we go, yeah, I can get through it on my own, but I can actually survive and thrive with him. Way better. So he invites us to himself. He instructs us to the next steps, and then he comes. I'm going to come back to the the last part of verse 29 because I want you to see where he informs us of who he is. If you're going to have someone walk with you, and you're going to have someone bring a yoke and put it on you, wouldn't you like to know a little about who, who a little bit about who he is and what he's about and what his life is for and what he's doing in life? I mean, kind of you like to know who the source is, right? So look at verse 29, the last part. For I am gentle and lowly in heart. Who is it that calls us into this relationship? Who is it that calls us to, to, to follow him and be with him in the times of grief, the times of struggle, the times of hardship, and we find his resume. I was thinking about this is almost like a resume. He's telling us, hey, this is who I am. You know, you, you apply for a job and you send a resume. Why do you send a resume? Because you want the job, right? But you send the resume and you hope it's going to present yourself in a way that people go, I'd like to get to know that guy. I'd like to know what she's about. I'd like to see if she would fit into our organization. Jesus is saying here, this is who I am. I am gentle and lowly in heart. Now some of you are thinking, well, I don't know if I want that employee or not. Uh, I'd rather work with somebody who's gentle and lowly in heart than someone who is brusque and arrogant, wouldn't you? Who is Jesus to call me to follow him? That's a great question. If we're going to follow him, we're going to allow him to instruct us, and we're going to lead us, he says, I want you to, to be with me and I want you to know who I am. And, and, and the word that's used in the Greek language here for, for gentle is the Greek word praeus. And if you do the study on the word, you'll find out they don't know really where it came from. <laughs> I like that? But it means this. It means... Gentle, as in the opposite of, harsh, demanding, abrasive, or cruel. Jesus says, I'm none of those things. I'm gentle. He says, I'm not a bully. I'm not an agitator. I'm your friend. I'm your loving friend. I'm the one who wants the best for you. I'm the one who wants to come into your life and be with you. I'm the one who wants to walk with you and be, and talk with you and commune with you and carry you through the days of your life. I want to walk with your life in a gentle way. i got to ask, who would you rather have, an abrasive bully or a gentle friend? Then he gives a second characteristic. He's lowly in heart. Now, that's not to say he's worthless or pitiful. No. It's a declaration that he is this... He's God-dependent instead of self-dependent. He says, I don't depend on me. I depend on God. And what he's doing is illustrating for us how to do that in our lives when things get tough, when life gets troublesome, when grief comes, when trials come, when struggles come. He doesn't come into our lives overwhelming who we are. Rather, he comes alongside us and walks with us and helps us to follow him in the seasons of life. So he invites us. He instructs us. He informs us. And then he says, I got a promise for you. Look at verse 29. And you will find rest for your soul. Within these verses, we find a promise by Jesus. And I think one that's particularly poignant to the idea of grief in life. He says, I'll bring you rest. Does that mean it's going to make it no pain? No. Does it mean there won't be any struggles? No. But he says, I'll bring you rest in what you're going through. It's not a cessation of struggle, not a cessation of external pressure, because in this life we will have trouble, right? But he's promising us us a cessation from the trouble of laboring with the trial. It's the big idea of going through whatever comes our way, knowing that God is leading us, carrying us through it, and he's got something for us as we go to the end of the process. I remember a few years ago, uh, uh, six years ago this summer, this month, we lost my mother. Some of you knew me then, some of you didn't. And I had to be strong for my family to get through that. Dad asked me to do the funeral. (laughs) Piece of cake, Dad, no problem. Oh, Lord, in heaven, give me strength. And I wasn't able to grieve during the funeral because I had to do this. And that impacted me in ways that I'm still unraveling, to be honest with you. Grief is something that if we don't figure out how to come to Jesus, to surrender to Jesus, to let Him carry us through those times, we will not make it through. He calls us to surrender because he says, i got a promise for you. He says, yeah, the burden is still going to be there. Yeah, the pain is still going to be here. Yes, the struggle is still going to be there. But you don't have to go through that alone. Why? Because I'm with you. And you'll find rest for your souls. <laughs> we may never find a time when grief is absent completely. But we can live with an assurance that he's going to be with us come what may. So what do you do with this? I want to give you three thoughts and we'll be done. And I'll probably be done for the day at that point, for those of you who know what I'm going through right now. But first of all, we've got to make a choice. We've got to choose Jesus' holy presence. You say, well, I came to church. I'm glad you're here. But if this is the extent of your presence with Jesus, you're missing a whole lot of presence with Jesus. The think about the issue of grief in our lives, I believe the first thing we have to keep in mind is that while we cannot determine when grief will come, you can't control it, we could go home this afternoon and find out that a loved one's passed away. We could go home this afternoon and, and go to work in the morning and find out we don't have a job. We may go through this week and discover some other trial in life has shown up and we're going to grieve over it. While we cannot determine when it will happen, we can choose how we respond. How do you respond to those? Because the ugly reality is the human condition is grief is an inevitability. Life takes ugly turns. Loss is going to be experienced. And we're going to come face to face with grief at some point in the future. And for those of us who think, oh, it'll never happen to me, you're living in a fantasy land. And since grief is inevitable, we have to decide, I think beforehand, how are we going to go through it? What are we going to do when those things come, when that time comes, when that moment comes, when that struggle comes? How are we going to get through it? We're going to hold up and go, oh, I'm strong. I can handle it myself. I've tried that. About killed me. Or are we going to say, I want to choose Jesus' presence? I suspect a key element of handling grief well is found in understanding both whose we are and who we are. I'm a child of the King. He loves me completely. He loves you completely if you're a child of His. He will never leave you or forsake you. He will not abandon you. He will not walk away from you. He will not leave you. And we need to remind ourselves of that. But we also need to run to him and say, I don't want to be anywhere else with you but with you. We now live with a deep confidence in him and in a presence with him. And we don't need to shy away from boldly identifying with him. There's something special, my friends, about following the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's not just, well, I'm a member of the church. It's this idea that I walk with Jesus. Daily, I'm reminded of Paul's words to the young Timothy who had been sent to proclaim the good news to the the people out on Crete. And he said this, Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, who saved us and called us to or called us with a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. As we face grief in life, we, we need to remind ourselves of who we are, whose we are, and that it's this, that we're a follower of the King. Follower of the King. That He's there for us. He doesn't leave us. We've been bought with a price. We carry the name of Jesus wherever we go. And that includes the dark times of grief. Why should we sink to defeat and depression When tragic events come, run to Jesus. Choose his presence. Choose to walk with him. Second thing we need to probably do, I think we need to do is this, to treasure Jesus' power in our weakness. Now, that's assuming you're willing to admit that you have weakness, but let's just make that assumption for now, that you're going to say, okay, I have weakness, but I'm no understanding that in Christ I have a power that is much larger than I am and bigger than I am. You know, in our culture, we've been sold a bill of goods That we can, that we need to take care of ourselves, that we can do it ourselves. We just need to get stronger. We need to be more resilient. We need to pull ourselves up by our own will. We need to present ourselves as strong. And I'm here to tell you, my friends, that in our weakness is where we find that God is really strong. Not when we put on this front of strength. It's our flawed reality that His power becomes clear and that He begins to enter into our lives and work in our lives in a way that we never can understand. You say, well, I've got talents and abilities and skills and, and, and I know how to cope and I have all this and I've got training and I've got... You know what? That's great. But ultimately the power uh, that we find in life is not through our strength but in our weakness in Christ. Let Him be with us. Again, I'm reminded of the Paul, Apostle Paul. Here's a guy... Y'all know his story, but I'll give you the short version. Here's a guy who was on the fast track to becoming a powerful leader in Judaism. I'm convinced, the more I've studied him, that he uh, was probably on track to, if not be the high priest, to be one of the high officials in the temple itself. I mean, he he was... He he had it. He had the education. He had the training. He had the connections. I mean, he had like the best teacher of of all, Gamaliel. He had, I mean, he was set up, okay? And his life was headed one trajectory. And then you know what happened to him. He was on the road to Damascus. And then what happened? Jesus broke into his life and said, Hey, I want you. And you think, okay. You know, he got saved. He began to move in that direction. And his life was perfect, right? Huh. He was called to a life of grief. He had trials. He had struggles. He got uh, stoned. He got left for dead. He got shipwrecked. He got... How much do you want to put in there? If, if it happened, he happened, it happened to him, okay? And you're thinking, wow. And on top of that, he had some kind of physical malady that made him really struggle in life. Some people think he was, had poor eyesight. Some people thought he had some other issue. Bible doesn't tell us. I love it because that way I can take whatever malady I'm struggling with and put it in the list, right? I can identify with Paul because he had one that he, he wanted to get rid of. But guess what happened? He would go to God and say, God, God, take it away! Take the grief away, take the struggle away, take the pain away. In fact, he says, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But the Lord said to me, sorry, you're going to go through it, not be out of it. He said, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. He says, therefore, here's what I'll do. I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Paul understood that it was not about him. He said, God, you're my rock. You're the one that's going to move in my life. You're the one that has the ability. And so his response is atypical. He says, I'm going to boast of my weaknesses. Look at this, God. Your power is what's going to get me through. Your strength is what's going to carry me through. And that's what we can do when we face grief. We come to him and say, I can't. I can't. But you can. You can. See, we can see grief as the end of the world or we can see it as God's grace being released and extended. And I think the latter is the better way to go. And the high calling is to treasure His power instead of our weaknesses. So choose His presence, treasure His power, but also, wait. Wait for God to deliver. The third lesson we can learn from this passage is simply this we have to wait for His deliverance. How many of y'all are real patient people? Yeah, me either. See, when, pay, when faced with debilitating grief, it's easy to throw a massive pity party in it to go, "Man, I don't care. It's terrible. I'm the only one who's ever gone through this. I can't handle this. This terrible. It's terrible. Oh my goodness. You've been there, huh? It's easy to settle into the discontent of our souls. Because we all have this tendency to turn inward. But there's a better way, my friends, forward. It's this, that God says, I want to deliver you. I want to get you out of that. I want to carry you through it. And I suspect all of us have been through it or we're in grief right now. And it's in those seasons we're tempted to focus on the impact on us, to consider the impact on our lives, and to wallow in this big pity party. But there's a better way because Jesus promised we can find rest for our souls. But how do we get there? How do we get to the place where we wait for him to deliver? I think David had a a good, good beat on it. Listen to Psalm 62. He says, "For God alone, my soul waits in silence. From Him comes my salvation. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress, and I shall not be greatly shaken." I love that he says "greatly shaken" because that means he was shaken, (laughs) but he knew God was going to carry him through it. He made a choice. That says, I'm going to wait for God to move in his time. So should we. He recognized salvation and deliverance comes from God alone. So should we. He believed God alone was his rock. So should we. And he believed in God he would not be shaken. So should we. See, this idea of waiting for God to move is a tough sell for a lot of us. Why? We've, we've, we've drunk deep at the well of self-reliance and independence. But i got to tell you, I'm convinced that's not God's way to deal with life and struggles and hardship and grief. It's this, running to Him, trusting Him alone, following Him alone, talking to Him alone, letting Him teach us alone, letting Him be God and not us so what do we do with this maybe you're here today and you you think man I'm struggling with grief run to Jesus maybe you're here today and you go I don't know Jesus how do I get his strength in my life the answer is the same actually run to Jesus let him change you from the inside out we want to give you an opportunity to respond this morning maybe you need to trust him for salvation for the very first time I would love nothing more than to pray with you right here at the front and get that issue settled in your life For many of us, that's settled. The next step is we need to let God lead and lead us through the struggles in life. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for loving us. We thank you for your blessings in our lives. And we pray, God, that you would give us the strength to respond to you as you're guiding us this morning. We pray for those who need to trust you publicly. We pray for those who need to make some type of decision public. Father, for many of us, it's an idea that says... I can't, but you can that we struggle with because we want to do it ourselves. Father, help us learn to run to you, to trust you in the hard times of life as well as the good. In Jesus' name.